An inevitable and a desirable opening for a program, our annual one, about baseball. And with us tonight are three leading baseball journalists, three leading sports journalists, uh, all of whom are very interested in baseball, though Kaplan is also somewhat interested in basketball, I've discovered recently. Uh, Dave Kaplan, of course, our good friend and co-host of the WGN Sports Central program. And with us as well, Carrie Muscat, who covers the Chicago Cubs for... MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and is the author of a book titled Banks to Sandberg to Grace, Five Decades of Love and Frustration with the Chicago Cubs, and Phil Rogers, the lead baseball writer for the Chicago Tribune. Talked to a friend of mine on the international phone earlier today, and he said to me, Sensei dozewashito ade bomobashi nihongo besoboru. You got that, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Did you catch any of that at all? It sounded Japanese. It did sound Japanese, and in translation, it is the best uh, baseball players are in Japanese baseball. Uh, having watched uh, Ichiro and watched uh, Shinjo, the guy with the, the Giants, that's, mm-hmm. that's very, very impressive. But those are the ones we've imported because they're the best from the Japanese leagues. Is it possible, though, David, that maybe over there they play as good or a better game of baseball than we do here. I don't know if they have the depth, and these two would know probably more than me. I've never gone over there, but I don't think they have the depth of talent that we have here or the athleticism. But some of their stars, Hideo Noble, came over here, pitched very well, and Ichiro, you know, MVP a year ago, rookie mm-hmm. of the year. So they've got some, definitely some representative players. And I, I think they play a, a style of baseball that would be very popular here, and it's a little bit of a throwback style, and it's a selfless style. And it's a style that a lot of winning teams in in America have, and a lot of very popular, unsuccessful teams really don't have. The uh, the emphasis is on the team, not the player. How much international penetration is there of American big league baseball? When you think of basketball, um, there are very few guys who aren't American, though there are a few East Europeans who wound up in uh, major league basketball. In hockey, there are a lot of East Europeans and Russians who turned up in recent years, as well as, of course, Canadians, mm-hmm. who really essentially run uh, the national hockey mm-hmm. operation. In baseball, a few Japanese people, and of course a number of Caribbean types, and right. we've got one of the leading ones. Right. Who else? Well, also, uh, I think the Cubs are looking quite a bit into the Korean market, yeah. and oh, they've yeah. got a uh, very talented first baseman in their minor league system named Hesop Choi, who you'll probably see next year. And this spring, uh, they had a man who was nicknamed the Lion King, uh, and I can't quite remember, Sung Yap Lee. Lee, Mr. Lee, that's right, Mr. Uh-huh. Lee. And he was invited to the Cubs camp for a few days, and he had a great time. And it's the same type of baseball that, that Phil was talking about, where it's more of a team element. But he was there on an invite. He has two more years left on his Korean contract, and then... He could come over and play in the States. But that's another market that they're tapping into. There's a few players from Australia on some teams. There's a few players from, uh, I'm trying to think where else I've seen. Australia is a, a little bit, but I've been down to Australia. Canada. Canada, right. But I've been to Australia and seen the ballparks down there, and they're, they're, they have a long ways Pretty to go. Pretty scruffy. Uh, yes, they use yeah. uh, uh, rugby football fields uh-huh. for baseball fields, and it's not the dimensions aren't quite the same. I, I think I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, I think last year there were actually players from 20 different countries uh-huh. on major league major league rosters, and 
some of those are, are army brats born in born in different parts of the world. Uh, but really, the internationalization of Major League Baseball is a uh, uh, a development of the last decade, and and something we're going to see more and more of in the next decade. I I know of one organization this year, the Cleveland Indians, and I don't think they're necessarily an exception, which has fewer um, U.S. citizens in its organization than Latin Americans, and mostly Latin Americans. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, there, are more, there are more players from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela, uh, Puerto Rico, U.S. citizens, but, but um, not born in North America, fewer North, North Americans than uh, uh, international players. You know, of course, that this is a program about baseball which will not be like the usual program about baseball because I know so little about baseball. Uh, I love it, but I'm not at all expert the way sports writers are or the way players are. So uh, uh, I work, we're trying to work some different angles. And you may remember or may have heard that in real life I'm a professor of psychology. Therefore, a psychological question comes immediately to mind. When it comes to the major sports as played in this country by professionals, uh, which are the happiest and which are the unhappiest? Uh, is baseball a happy uh, culture as, say, compared to basketball, football, hockey, Golf. I don't think baseball is a happy culture. I I, I think uh, little league baseball is a happy culture. Uh, I think (laughs) usually high school baseball is probably a happy culture. Um, I I I think um, players play it for love of the game uh, in the beginning, but I I think it is so time intensive. Um, The the requirements on players, the hours they put in. I, I think they are. I think they, I, I would say dwarf, and maybe that's not quite correct, but I think they are they are significantly greater than an NFL player, an NBA player. Uh, with the 162-game season, the six-week spring training, the average day at the ballpark, the players get there three to four hours before the game and are, are there a couple hours at, after the game. You know, nowadays, the off-seasons, uh, there's, there's a lot of training and conditioning mm-hmm. and supplement taking. So we that, work that them hard in. and they're full of tension. That seems to be the case. Yes, but I I think that they're happy guys. Because I've covered other sports. I've covered football and hockey and basketball and, and baseball to me is the one sport and, and I'm sure where you have access to the players before the game. You don't have that in football as much. Basketball, I guess you do, but you, it's just, it's it's a it's just an interesting environment. It's just of course a, in football and there. hockey you get beat up a lot. True. <laughs> I thought and, hockey and, players and you develop lifelong injuries. True. Hockey players were starved for attention. We never gave them enough from yeah. the media, so they're really willing to do interviews. Mm-hmm. And baseball is the one sport they come into town for three or four days. You can cultivate relationships with guys over time if you're around, like the three of us have been around. Yeah. Players get to know you. They'll sit and. 9.30 in the morning at Wrigley on a 120 game, they'll sit in the dugout and maybe drink their coffee and talk about baseball or life or whatever. So I found them to be pretty good to deal with, except for Barry Bonds. Interesting you should mention Barry Bonds. We had somebody here last night who used to be the publicity director for um, Nike, and he was telling some stories. One he told, I guess, off mic, but he's gone. He's out of town now. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I'll put it on. You mic. can tell us. Yeah. Was that... Um, they were trying to work out some deal with Bonds about some uh, thing he was going to do for them for vast 
emolument, obviously. Uh, and But they weren't so sure because they thought he was rather temperamental and rather a mean guy. That was the word that had mm-hmm. been spread around. And uh, But they finally brought him over to the campus, to the Nike campus, uh, in uh, a limo, a very fancy limo, and Bonds jumped out of the limo furious and shouting about how it wasn't the stretch limo he was expecting. And uh, uh, they uh, then decided, they, as they toured him around the campus, that... Uh, one guy whispered to another, one thing we must do is take him to the cardiology uh, center, because they had a famous cardiologist on uh, staff uh, at their center, whatever it is. You know more about it, I'm sure, than I do. Did We must take him to the cardiologist, because I think he doesn't have a heart. I believe that. There, there was a story. This, is that a story that kind of fits the general That fits pattern? the general. Yeah. Uh, there was a commercial shoot this during spring training down mm-hmm. in uh, Arizona, and Barry apparently gave this crew... Uh, about 10 minutes of his time, which to Barry was a lot of time. Sammy Sosa was filmed by the same crew for the for the commercial. I think it's something to do with the All-Star game or something to do with something. Sammy gave him an hour yeah. and and, uh, and smiled during Somebody most of the time. referred to him just recently, I think I ran into this, as possibly the greatest baseball player of all time. Barry Bonds? Barry Bonds? Yeah. Does that make uh, any sense? He's an elite he's, player. I don't know if you'd say he's the best, but he's pretty good. The season he had last year was was possibly the best season any, anybody ever had. Review it. What what are the stats on? Well, seventy three home runs to start with. Yeah. Also set the all time slugging record. Um, also set the all time walk record. So so he hit seventy three home runs despite taking more walks than Babe Ruth or on Mickey base Mantle. percentage over five hundred. Um, not pretty much a wire to wire season, and I covered his end of that season as he went after the home run record that Mark McGuire set in 1998 um, and the pitches that he didn't swing at um, were just amazing to me because the San Francisco Giants were trying to get in the playoffs they were pretty much in lockstep with Arizona at the end of the season um, and Bonds when pitchers threw pitches that were just a little bit off the plate he took his walks and, and I was incredibly impressed with that just because this guy has a chance to break the home run record yet he's not getting out of the team concept to do it mm-hmm. um and as it turned out he get he got the record and his team did not make the playoffs but it was it was no uh, knock on him that his team didn't make the playoffs now comes a quick stop for some commercials and i put you on notice then we're going to do the conventional thing the forecast we give 10 minutes or so to the forecast who's going to be up who's going to be down what who's got what chance and why and then we'll get on to uh, yet other things. Some baseball players you've known and despised, baseball players you've known and deeply admired, the way the game is changing, and the economics of the game, and whether there is yet another crisis brewing which might cut this season short. Uh, things of that order, all to continue right after we pause for these words. With Tinker, Evers, and Frank Chance, Cup fans did a victory dance. Who was Harry Steinfeld anyway? Jolly Charlie was a showman, Gabby's Homer in the gloaming. And so pretty, the windy city in those days. I'm talking baseball, Warnicky and Kyle Cubs. Baseball, Hack Wilson and Wildfire, Augie Stan and Jervis on the club. That year, Freddie Lindstrom was a sub. I'm talking baseball, baseball and the Cubs. Now, 
a great mystery has arisen here. Uh, we know that song, Talking Baseball, but we don't know who the recording artist is. Therefore, uh, once we go to the phones, whoever can first identify that recording artist and prove it, will um, what will they get? Something off the Sports Central prize list? I think so. There you go. That sounds right to me. <laughs> Did they, was that Steve Goodman? It wasn't Steve Goodman. No, no that was not no, Steve Goodman. No, I can uh, verify that. We are with Dave Kaplan, Phil Rogers, and Carrie Muscat, and it is time for the forecast. Uh, David, uh, the Cubs will finish. Cubs will win their division. They'll win their division. Yes. And then what will happen? Uh, they will actually win the first playoff series they play, and then they will lose. Uh huh. And Phil, uh, you follow the Sox rather closely. You've got uh, a recent article which uh, reads this way in its very opening. Uh, the Sox must face the error of their ways. There are no secrets in baseball. Long seasons reveal warts. The White Sox can't hide their neck for giving away games. Well, five years in a row, they've been in, been a tenth or worst in the American League in fielding. They haven't been in the in the uh, top five in fielding since 1986. They have a pitching staff right now that could use all the all the help their fielders could give them, uh, but they continue to play with this offensive score as many runs as we can, outscore the opposition, and I've found that's a difficult way to win because eventually hitters will go into slumps and you'll start to lose games and the pitchers will, will get discouraged and, and it's it's uh, no way to go. So they're not going to win their division. I'm picking Minnesota to win that division, mm. but I'm not going to write the, I, I, I'm not going to write <laughs> I, I'm not going to write the White Sox off because I think it's the weakest division of the six in baseball. Why did you applaud on applaud on Minnesota? Because I'm a I'm a big Twins fan, so yeah? that's all. So go ahead. <laughs> no, no, let's hear about that. Why no, I, just, I used to work in Minnesota and covered ah. Kirby Puckett and covered the mm -hmm. Twins, and, yeah. and uh, I I just, they played so well last year, such such great, the whole team baseball concept, and they and they just, I really like their spirit, and I like Ron Gardenhire, and I just like, and I, they feel, I think that they have something to prove this year. With the contraction With the contraction issue, issue right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here they thought they were going to lose a season, so. Um Resolved. The Yankees are still the best team in the game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to have a I won't say a down year because they have too much talent. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the Yankees even make the World Series this year. But see, I don't pick the Cubs to win their division. I, I, and now if my bosses are listening, they should tune off right now because since I work for the Cubs website, I'm not allowed to say this. Mm -hmm. I really think the Cardinals have a really good team. They do have a good team. The Cardinals, Cardinals to me, could might be might be the best team. Right so this should be some good fun at the old ballpark, mm -hmm. particularly when St. Louis comes to town. Absolutely right. Yeah. That's a great rivalry at Wrigley. Yeah. And and Houston and the Cubs are going to have some great games mm -hmm. this year as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think Houston's a, a team. Um, the National League Central is a little bit like the flip side of the American League Central. It, it's very top-heavy, and and I think mm -hmm. one of three good teams is going to miss the playoffs. Uh, the wild card's very likely to come from the National League Central, mm -hmm. but between the Cardinals, the Astros, and the Cubs, somebody could win 90 games and not make the playoffs. Is there any regret, David, at the trading away of Mark Grace? No, I don't think so, and I liked Mark. I mean, good player, good guy. He was great for the media, was always accessible for mm -hmm. quotes, but I think the time had come for him to go. It just The time had come, he moved on, he got his ring in Arizona, he certainly did. and the Cubs have not suffered because Mark isn't here either. I, I like that decision when they made it at the time, but baseball is so unpredictable. And unfortunately, the people who make front office decisions 
uh, fall victim to that too. And, and as it turned out, uh, the Cubs let Grace go because they, they didn't think they could possibly contend. They were coming back from a stretch. If you go back through the, the uh, 2000 season and then also 1999, uh, they had a stretch where they, they were 100 wins, 169 losses, which in baseball <laughs> is really, really hard to lose like that. Is baseball nine-tenths pitching, as somebody once said? Oh, yes. Big, and, it's, and I think you'll see that. The other, and to me, the other tenth is is the fielding, which I think yeah. you'll see with the White Sox is that they can't catch the ball, and I, I just uh, and well, they, <laughs> we saw that last year. Yeah. But but to go back to the to the Grace thing, um, I really miss him, and and watching him play in the World Series last year, like I like I did, was was really kind of fun to to watch him revel in it. He and loved it. it. He it, loved it, and he loved the whole Yankee should. Stadium thing. I mean, the, you know, he was he was like a fan at Yankee Stadium. He was just he was sitting there in the dugout, just just in awe of the place. He got there early. Um, it, but the if, sad thing is, they never could replace him really last year. If if they had had Grace, they very well might have pulled right. that off and made the playoffs right. last year right. because, mm-hmm. I mean, for much of that season, almost all that season, well, most of that season, they had big holes in the lineup at catcher, center field, yep. and first base. Yep. And if they had had Grace there, the trade for Fred McGriff filled that. But by then it was August. Um, if they had had Grace for the whole ride, it would have been really, really interesting to see. Is there any danger that they're somehow, uh, for, out of sheer perversity, going to trade away Sammy Sosa? No way. Haven't you heard some rumors to that effect? There were, I think, a couple of years back when they couldn't get a contract extension done with mm-hmm. him. Now that he's signed, he can go free agent, I think, after next season. Yeah, that's the bigger danger is the con- uh-huh. he, he signed a four-year contract extension before the 2001 season, uh, but the four years, uh, he, has, he, he has the last two years in that contract, which are 2003 and 2004, no, 2004. Yeah, three and four. Okay. Three and four. That's right, two more this years. This is two. Right. There's an option for a fifth right. year, but at the end of two years, if his productivity is such, he can opt out of the deal. Well, it, it's a mutual option. He can just walk right. unilaterally. Well, baseball if, can't be nine-tenths pitching when a guy like Sosa can make almost all the, or a guy like Grace can make almost all the difference in terms of uh, where a team will stand at the end of the season. Well, but Grace would have made a difference as part of the team. He's not. He's yeah. Sammy. Sammy carried that team. When you the differential between his RBI total and the next to guy, sure. Ricky Gutierrez, sure. was the biggest difference ever in in baseball. I mean, the, Sammy carried the team. The only argument you could make for trading Sammy Sosa would be if you look at a team like Seattle, which got rid of a Ken Griffey Jr. superstar and was able to and got rid of an Alex Rodriguez and Randy Johnson and Randy Johnson was able to take smaller as opposed to having this one superstar. They were able to to mesh better with with more team players that's that's the one argument you could make but i'm not Take taking that back argument to pitching. <laughs> who are the real outstanding pitchers in baseball well look at today? the diamondbacks last year they won basically they rode two guys to the world series in randy johnson mm-hmm. and kurt schilling i believe and i think these two are a big fan of his as well but i believe Kerry wood is one of the great arms if he stays healthy yeah, uh, and Atlanta has won ten consecutive division titles behind Greg Maddox and mm-hmm. Tom Glavin, right? Mm-hmm. And John Smoltz, Smoltz. Right. Uh, Clemens, Roger Clemens, the Rocket has had a great career. Pedro Martinez, and there's a kid in the Cubs farm system who will be here very soon, named Mark Pryor. It's scary how good he could be. Uh, What's his uh, name? Mark, Mark Pryor. Pryor. What team is he on now? He's Cubs in Double A. Right. Uh-huh. He will Two. be here. He could be here in this, this year. Yeah. 
two other young guys would be remiss not to mention are, are Matt Morris with the St. Louis mm-hmm. Cardinals, who's a big reason that St. Louis won last year, uh, a big reason they're going to be tough for the Cubs to beat this year, and also a kid from uh, the south side, uh, Mark Mulder, who pitches mm-hmm. for the Oakland A's, who uh, has mm-hmm. an outside chance to to win a Cy Young Award this year in the American League. I, I think he pitched mm-hmm. great last night in, in Oakland's opener. Does everybody love baseball as much as they did 10, 15, 20 years ago? You I do. do. Yeah, I know you do, but I'm talking about the general, the general public. Oh, I think there's a lot of people that that just love it. Yeah. Pe- pe- people love the game. They, they, love they complain that, about it a they, lot, though, don't well, they? Well, isn't that, I mean, that's, that's a normal thing. You complain about the weather, but you live in yeah. Chicago. You know, I, I, I like the game more now than I did, because, but that's because I've had more inside access. I've had more more of a chance to get to know things that the yeah. average fan doesn't know, you know. So I, I guess I, I like the game more now. Don't you think people hate it, though, or complain about it at times because they see millionaires fighting with billionaires over <laughs> our dollars? Yeah. That's what I had in mind. Yeah. The, yeah. the business turns them off. But I, I right. think as far as how much they love the game, one of the reasons people complain about it so much is because they love it so much that it, I, I think it's held to a higher standard than maybe any other professional sports. Um, and I would talk, you know, the sports business, the base, the business of baseball. Um, it's a part of my job to cover that. And I don't know in the NFL and the NBA if that's true. And I think uh, the I think other leagues do things and get away with things that that when baseball tries to do them, people throw up their hands and say, "Wait a second, you're messing you're messing with this American institution." Mm-hmm. I've never understood turning a little psychological again, how a manager can really effectively manage a player who perhaps earns, as the superstar might, uh, five times as much, seven times as much, maybe even ten times as much as he does. Because if you have a quality character guy like Sammy Sosa, Mm -hmm. who plays hard day in and day out, you challenge him as a professional. You leave the money out of it. They still are playing a game that they really have. If they're the right guy, it beats in their heart. But if you're being paid that much, as Sammy Sosa is, though he seems to be a particularly nice man, but if you're paid that much, as, say, Barry Bonds is, uh, isn't it likely that if somebody's going to give you direction, you're going to think, you've got no right uh, to uh, try to control or influence me. I'm worth 10 times as much or 20 times as much as you are. Ask Jim Riggleman about Sammy Sosa sometimes. The younger Sammy Sosa wouldn't necessarily take signs right. and, 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 do, and take the direction right. that Milt's talking about. And I, I think that, it, that, is, that is an issue, and I think it is um, a, a difficult thing for a lot of managers, especially younger managers, before they get their reputations. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think guys are going to challenge a Joe Torre or a Tony La Russa, uh, managers that have proven they could win. But I think for a young guy... Before you prove you can you can you you can win, it's tough. Jerry Manuel, when he started with the White Sox, and had Albert Bell and Frank Thomas, those guys to deal with, mm-hmm. and he handled them marvelously. But that was a very difficult part of his job, I believe. Mm-hmm. It is nice to see professionals being professional. What would you make of a veteran broadcaster who keeps fiddling with a pen, making a noise that's being picked up by a microphone? <laughs> I don't even have a pen in my... Oh, I, yes, you do. <laughs> I did have my pen. Here, I'll let you guys keep it over there. And with that... Yeah, and I didn't wear any jewelry just for this reason. Well, so uh-huh. I, I thought You've got them on the wrong side of the desk tonight. <laughs> right. that's, that's I'm kind of lost. That's the problem. And with that, we'll pause for a moment and then back to Phil Rogers, Harry Muscat, and David Kaplan. And we ought to talk a little bit about the 
economics of baseball and the possible continuing trouble in baseball. That to come right after these words. That was sort of obligatory, the uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Mrs. Robinson song with the mention of Joe DiMaggio. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? The nation turns its lonely eyes to you, suggesting he was a great icon, represented somehow the moral purity of uh, great uh, athleticism. Yet there was a fellow who did a biography of him, which appeared only a year ago, and he came on this program. He's very well known, though I'm blocking on his name now, but a well-known political writer. In fact, his name is Richard Ben Kramer, I am reminded. And his view was that DiMaggio was um, a cheapskate, selfish, vain, and used and misused people, and was not anything like uh, the quiet man of dignity and perfection that we all remember. Perhaps paranoid and, and unhappy and... All of those. All of those. Uh, that, yeah. that, that seems it to broke be... Up, it broke a myth, which was a in a way, a bad thing to have done. Well, it was probably tough to be an, an icon and carry a carry a country's uh, yeah, not values, but but carry a country's support on on your back there, adulation like he mm -hmm. did. Yeah. Is there a player around now who has something of that same quasi mythic quality? I don't I don't know. Uh, Sammy seems to get Sammy, yeah. like that a little bit uh, around Wrigley Field. I know. That, I've seen this, and then talking to Cal Ripken. Yeah, did. Cal did a little bit, but Sammy, Cubs can lose if Sammy hits a home run, everybody's happy. Yeah. So. It's, but whenever I see him on television being interviewed or something, rather than playing, I think of that wonderful routine on Saturday Night Live years and years ago. Baseball, been very, very good to be. Yeah, Garrett Morris. Sammy's yeah, English yeah, has yeah. gotten much better. He he threw out some words at us this spring that I I was not prepared yeah. for. So, so you've actually been to his home. Or you've been to San, I, San been Pedro to, de Macarena. Right, right. To from. see to see how far he's come is is yeah. amazing. It's just amazing. Down there in the Dominican Republic. Yes, Shining shoes yeah, for what? They, Thirty-five cents. If if that, yeah. Mm -hmm. the, I someone took me to the home that he first grew up in, and it was pretty much just a one-room mm -hmm. home, and the whole family was in there. You know, he's got uh, two sisters, couple brothers, and and they were all in this one little tiny house. And to see that he's mm -hmm. gone from there to this now he's this incredible mansion in Miami. Uh, Sammy's doing okay. Yeah, I think he's going to be all yeah, right. I think he'll be. Uh, but speaking of money, what's the trouble in baseball? Money. It's, it's gone on for <laughs> almost ten years. What's what, what's the the essence of the difficulty? The haves and the have-nots. The Yankees. You know, everyone can go out and get a couple of good players, but if the Yankees make a mistake or a guy gets hurt, they just reload and go get another one. And so teams like Kansas City or Minnesota will say to you, Yankees payroll's 122 million dollars. Ours is $28 million. How can we compete? So they have to find a way to bring the haves and the have-nots closer together, whether through a salary cap or something, while trying to get the players to give back some of the things they've won since they have been the most dominant union probably the last 25 to 50 years, have never lost mm -hmm. a labor stoppage. Are the owners really trying to get a, a give-back from the I, players? 
I don't think. What would they give back? No, I, I, I don't think. Um, Curb on salary. You know, free agency, salary arbitration. Uh, the the players' association, the union has has a terrific economic system in place, and they want it through collective bargaining, um, and it has proven to be a phenomenal engine driving salaries higher and higher. And, and there's no reason they should want to change the status quo. But I think, as opposed to attacking that, the owners mostly in this labor negotiation want to move money around from their own teams, you know, take some of that Yankees money and move it around down the chain uh, to the teams at the bottom and also to some of the teams in the middle to give them a better chance to compete and a better incentive to compete. And, mm-hmm. and as for what's the problem, uh, baseball's economic system is different than the NFL and the NBA because it is so driven by local TV, local cable contracts. Uh, the owners didn't really see mm-hmm. that coming when the system was being created. Um, and the system doesn't really recognize the visiting team. So, but you know, way back in 1958, some of the problems like this were already apparent. And I want you to hear the voices of two esteemed gentlemen of baseball testifying before Congress. Uh, and in fact, will you recognize these voices? I was asking you, sir, uh, <clears throat> why it is that baseball wants this bill passed. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they'd want it passed is to keep baseball going as the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. I'm not in here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business that was ever put out in the hundred years at the present time. Well, Mr. Mantle, do you... uh... Uh, have any observations with reference to uh, the applicability of the antitrust laws to baseball? Uh, my, my views are just about the same as Casey's. Eh? <laughs> Casey Stengel and Mickey Mantle. I think the senator talking to them was Estes Kefauver. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Am I right? Right. Just working mm-hmm. for the voice. Mm-hmm. Having having covered the House Judiciary Committee hearing in Jan- in uh, December when Bud Selig was there with Jesse Ventura mm-hmm. and the union rep, it, it wasn't much different than what, what you just heard. So it was pretty similar. <laughs> so it's quite, I don't, they'll never get rid of that antitrust thing because the politicians will never be able to, to sit down and, and focus Wouldn't on it. Wouldn't you agree that spending money as an owner guarantees you nothing, but not spending guarantees you won't win because I don't think we've had a team with a payroll outside the top eight win a playoff series in the last decade, maybe one. Yeah, but Dave, wouldn't you also agree that you don't absolutely have to be a winner to be a very popular money-making team? But then are you I'm a sure. success? The Cubs prove that more than any other team in the major leagues. But, but are you a success? You may be a success up on the 24th floor. Those are the guys I'm thinking about. But yeah. if you're a fan of the team or you're a player or a manager or somebody that's well, in the fan- baseball end of Come things. Come on, but for fans of the team, despite uh, a pretty miserable record relieved by one or two seasons where uh, the Cubs did better, uh, there's tremendous enthusiasm for the Cubs. Stronger, I think, in this town, in all the years I've lived in it, than there is for the White Sox. Well, I just did a story along those lines, and some of the things I found out um, surprised me. Uh, 
this is the 21st year that, that the Tribune Company has owned the Cubs, mm -hmm. uh, thus the story, and moving into the third decade. Uh, 55 of the 65 years before the Tribune Company purchased the team in 1981, the team in town that had had the, win the, the better, better record also drew the most fans. Um, I think the perception is Chicago's a Cubs town. Well, I, that's clearly true now. It didn't. It hasn't always been true. Um, and I, I think the Tribune Company legacy uh, with the Cubs is more on the business side than it's been on the baseball side, yeah. where they've had five winning seasons in 20 years. Um, and I think because of the, the business success, it's made it uh, much and much more difficult for the White Sox owners to field competitive you know, teams. I'm suddenly wondering, maybe there's a particular Hall of Famer who really made all the difference for maintaining the continued success of the Cubs. And what I have in mind is Harry Carey rather than a player. Oh. Harry is in the Hall of Fame. Right, right. And uh, actually, it, it could just be a whole kind of uh, uh, package with Harry and with the with the ambiance at Wrigley Field. Yeah, and with with everybody with the whole, loves the field. Everyone loves the ballpark. You know, everyone loves the bleachers. It could yeah. it could be a whole combination of that. Um, Kaplan loved it so much that uh, he parked out in a trailer for how many nights was it? I was there. I lived outside Wrigley Field in 97 when they started 0-14. I was there eight nights. Until they won their first game. Correct. You wouldn't do that at Comiskey <laughs> Park, would you? No, I don't no, think so. I don't think so. Absolutely not. I thought he was right next to the uh, McDonald's. To the McDonald's. Oh, well, one of your food, yeah. Absolutely. Some, somebody made a, a, a great point, I, I thought, to me uh, last week when I was researching that story. was, I mean, the, the new Comiskey Park has been so widely unappreciated mm -hmm. and, and is... Uh, Seems to, seems to be considered such a mistake for the White Sox because they just missed this retro ballpark phase that when their their parks sure. opened in, like 19, in 19, 1991, Camden Yards opened 1992, um, Wrigley Field is the retro ballpark. Mm -hmm. So Tribune Company and the Cubs already had the original retro ballpark, mm -hmm. um, which if it wasn't for this retro ballpark, appreciation might be sitting there like it was in the 50s and 60s and 70s. There was talk back in my hometown of Brooklyn. It was mere idle talk. I'm sure nothing will ever come of it. But a year ago, weren't there some stories about some people thinking that they might organize to rebuild Ebbets Field? Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Did you hear that one? Actually, I think they did a, like a smaller version for that uh, minor league team playing in Brooklyn. Oh, that's, yeah. They did build a smaller version? A smaller version. version. Uh -huh. yeah. But on the same design. Same design. Yeah. I've never seen it. Yep. There's <laughs> a go Brooklyn Class A team. It's pretty cool. Uh -huh. um, another batch of commercials. Quickly, and um, who knows where we'll go next. Um, I'm hoping that somebody will ask me to tell uh, my story about Lou Boudreau and Jerry Holtzman and uh, the greatest pitcher of all time. Would and you we... tell the story about Lou Boudreau and Jerry Holtzman? <laughs> and, and Bob Feller. And the greatest pitcher Bob. of all time. Who is Bob Feller. Well, since you pressed me, I will, right after we pause for these words. Play ball! Here comes the pitch! Come with me to the south side of Chicago. That's where the Sox play. Come out, come out, come out today. Those Sox won't let you down. We love them in our town. Come with me to the south side of Chicago. Well, that's titled Go Go Socks, and it's sung by somebody called Rapper Man Schwartz. 
Uh, Barry Regan dug it up. I've never heard it. Have, have any of you ever heard that before? No. But it's interesting because uh, I've decided to defer uh, responding to your question about my story concerning those three great baseball figures, uh, David, because you were saying something during the interval about the Cubs and the Sox, their comparative performances in league play and their comparative performances in audience size, and it was just fabulous. Well, in 2000, the White Sox had a really good team and won the division. The Cubs had the worst record in all of baseball. And at the end of the year, White Sox had a series at home. They've clinched the division. Everyone's excited. They're going to the playoffs. They drew 16,000 people for the game, and the Cubs were playing at home against the team that tied them for the worst record, the Phillies. Yeah. They had 40,000 people there, and that season the Cubs outdrew the Sox by 800,000 people. Isn't that something? And that was an important game, too, because that's the Mark Pryor Cup. That's exactly right. The Cubs right. finishing with the worst record than the Phillies gave them the right to draft Mark Pryor from who, USC. Who some people say is the greatest college pitcher of all time. Pretty impressive guy. Uh, well, that's so that's the phenomenon. Somehow this town, whether it only happened 20 years ago or not, uh, fell in love with the Cubs and mm -hmm. seems to have forgotten the White Sox. Do the White Sox make money? Is Ringdorf... Yeah. The, the, uh, still able to put food on the table? I believe j the chairman is, is still putting <laughs> food on the, on the table. I, um, it's my understanding, you know, Reinsdorf's ownership of the White Sox is a, is a very I him Reinsdorf. minority Reinsdorf. share. I mean, he only owns, I think, 10 to 15 percent of, of the White Sox yeah. and has an investment group that he has to um, satisfy. He, he has to meet the demands of his investors. And, but he's I, the only voter on the yeah. board, correct? He has the last Big final say. That's right. <laughs> it, it, um, I, I think they've basically operated at a break-even for 20 years. And, and the payoff would come whenever the club is sold because the value of the club has gone from $20 million to somewhere over 200 or $300 million, uh, depending on, on who you believe. But just as far as year-to-year -year basis, I'm told his investors um, have not taken a dollar out of the club over 21 years now. I bet you that a good long-term investment would be to, in fact, knock that park down and build uh, a nostalgic sort of uh, a retro park. Who's uh, paying for it? I don't know. <laughs> well, you, I, that's why I say it'd be a long-term investment rather than something with immediate payoff. You could get your chance, and I think it's 2010 is when the, the lease on, on that ballpark yeah. runs out, 20-year lease. Right. Now, you were asking me, David, at my prompting about the night we had... Uh, we had uh, Lou Boudreau and Bob Feller and Jerry Holtzman on this program, sitting at this table. The most wonderful thing about this, and this must have been quite a number of years ago, perhaps 15 years ago or 12 years ago, certainly, was that Boudreau, you remember, was the manager of the Indians when Feller was really the, the absolutely whiz-bang lead pitcher in Major League Baseball. And they were. And when did they play in a World Series? You will remember that. I don't. The Indians played in the World Series... 58? 50, yeah, 58, I think it was. And they replayed the eighth or the ninth inning, whatever was the crucial inning, pitch by pitch, with uh, with Feller remembering every pitch, and Boudreau uh, prompting him a little bit, but disagreeing with him as to whether the third pitch was a strike or a ball, and whether the batter, whatever his name was, hit on the fourth pitch and so on. But it was just wonderful. The detail of memory that they had for... Uh, for every throw in a particular inning, uh, and that was that really conveyed instantly mm -hmm. that men who really play this game and really love this game are masters, just like a great violinist would know every hemi demi semi quaver of a of a Bach 
solo uh, concerto. The, the ones who care, care a lot, I, th I, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. It was wonderfully spirited. Mm -hmm. We were talking just before about, uh, about Carrie's book, uh, Banks to Sandberg to Grace, Five Decades of Love and Frustration with the Chicago Cubs, which appeared about a year or two ago and has just now reappeared in paperback. Right. It came out last year in hardcover, and the publisher has been so nice to me that he's decided to run a paperback edition. That's contemporary and books. Contemporary books. Publishers, and we yeah. were, the paperback has been updated because uh, since the book came out, four of the people that I interviewed have since passed one away. One of them being Lou Boudreau. One is Lou. One is uh, Arnie Harris, yeah. the WGN TV producer, um, Hank Wise, and also Claude Pesso, both pitchers for the team. Yeah. And it's, uh, so the book's been updated, and it's doing very well. It was, a, it was a great project to do. If you're a Cub fan, it's a perfect yeah. buy. Well, I was a Boudreaux fan, as a matter of fact, and mm -hmm. had him on the program rather often in the days when he was actively mm -hmm. broadcasting. Mm -hmm. uh, and we must pause for the usual reasons. A set of uh, a brief run through the evening's news coming up from Andrea Darlis. But before I turn it over to Andrea, it's time to invite telephone calls. Anything and everything you've ever wanted to say about Major League Baseball, whether then or now, uh, you're free to do so. The number, of course, is 591-7200, 591-7200. And if you're listening on the West Coast and want to talk about uh, the Giants or about the Dodgers or Lord knows what or about Seattle or what have you, we'd be glad to hear from you. The better way would be via email, the email address, extension 720, at tribune.com. And if you're listening in Tokyo, since we did start with a reference to <laughs> Japanese baseball, of course, the best way to reach us would be, um, and we talked about Australia as well, yes. doing baseball, and we do know that we have listeners in Australia, all of this on the Internet, of course. And so the way to reach us, uh, if you're an Internet listener and you want to get through for sure, without spending a lot of money, is email extension 720 at tribune.com. Extension 720 as one word, at tribune, T-R-I-B-U-N-E dot com, or 591-7200, and on to the newsroom and Andrea Dorlis. various people doing the song, do we? Have you done it, David? Yes. I thought you had. Scariest thing in my life. Yeah? <laughs> oh, my God. You did it only once. I did it with Waddle, and, I mean, his hands were sweating. This is a uh -huh. guy who played in the NFL. It's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Uh -huh. You Who's didn't it? practice in the shower beforehand? I tried. You tried? I'm okay. still off. Let's see, fr <laughs> Friday's the first home game, right? Friday's yeah. the first home game. Who's going to sing? Uh, I don't know who's singing know. Friday. But we had Bob Knight here yesterday. I know you did. And they've extended the invite, and... I think he might come in. Oh, yeah? It'd be kind of cool if he does. He'd be, he'd be a great crooner for the, <laughs> be fun. For the opening game. So I'd, I'd like to see him have uh, Ron Sano. Uh, we were talking earlier. Ron, yeah. the, be the best thing I saw this spring was seeing Ron Sano and, and how 
chipper he looked and how great he looked just after all the surgeries. Oh, and, you can't and, you can't keep a, I mean, a good man down. Oh, he, he's just so yeah. energetic and so excited about, to have baseball back and to have mm. the season back that it's it was really kind of fun. So maybe they'll let Ron. He's thrown out the first pitch on mm. Friday. Is he? I yes. didn't know that. Yeah, he's been great. practicing in his backyard too. Great. Yes, he's been practicing. <laughs> I've, I know we've. I've got an invite for coming over on Friday, but I can't make it. But I rather imagine you'll be there, David. We will be doing a pregame show right sure. outside where I used to live. Yeah. Outside the McDonald's parking lot, <laughs> and then uh, we've got the ball game. Two twenty yeah. first pitch. Um, and uh, our phone number five nine one seventy two hundred. If you want to get in on this to pose a question or offer a thought, now's the time to make your move. Five nine one seventy two hundred for anything and everything about big league baseball, whether local or national. And we'll go to this caller. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, guys. Really enjoying the show. Uh, you were talking about the song Talking Baseball, and I found a wonderful website called BaseballAlmanac.com, yeah. which has the uh, composer, who's Terry Cashman, who recorded in 1981. It has all the lyrics. And the interesting thing is there are nine variations of that song, uh, including Baseball and the Braves, Baseball and the Bucks, Baseball and the Cubs, and Baseball and the Sox included. Hmm. And, uh, what's, the, what's the website again? The website is uh, baseball-almanac.com. Uh -huh. It's a wonderful site with all kinds of stuff on it that you guys would really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yes. We're making a note of that. We'll probably uh, pirate some of that material. No, tr Trust me, it's uh, bookmarked on my yeah, I, computer. I, I yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Glad to have heard from you. 591-7200 is the number, and... You are the next caller. Good evening. Good evening. I wanted to get the panel's thoughts on, um, I, I'm thinking as a, as a fan that the baseball's really missing uh, an independent commissioner, strong independent commissioner mm -hmm. who would act in the best interests of baseball and sometimes make decisions against the owners and sometimes make decisions against the players, you know, depending on what was warranted. And just feel like that's a big thing that's lacking in, in the game today. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, how does one evaluate? I, we won't ask uh, uh, Carrie to do <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, that might be a little awkward. She, she works for the man, but how does one well, evaluate Selig? In, in, the, in the history of the game, just talking more about the office uh, first, not not just Bud Selig. I mean, I mean, the commissioner has always been hired and fired at the whims of, of yeah. the owners. So I don't know that baseball has ever really had an a, a, a truly independent commissioner. If it has, you have to go back to Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Mm -hmm. Uh, to find it, um, you know, I, I think people people want this all-knowing, all-powerful uh, person that doesn't really exist. Uh, you know, I think maybe uh, maybe what they should do is change the title from commissioner to CEO. Or um, I, I I personally I think Bud Selig has done a decent job. I think he's tr under he's he's undertaking a very difficult job. In trying to make these changes in in baseball system and in mm -hmm. revenue sharing, I think when you look in the 1990s, expanded playoffs, uh, wild card, interleague play, I think baseball's made a lot of changes. And I think the reason Bud Selig has had the the uh, stick to itiveness to do it is because he has a vested interest in the game. Um, I've covered Peter Uberoff, Faye Vincent, and the late Bart Giamatti. Uh, I can't really comment about Bart Giamatti, how that would have turned out, but Faye Vincent and Peter Uberoff certainly are, are outside people who are good at what they do, who I think are going to more or less pass through baseball without making the tough calls. I see Bud Selig um, as a guy who, with a vested interest, is going to see these things through. 
Plus, I kind of I think it's interesting that they've brought just to throw out just a they brought Andy McPhail, the Cubs CEO, general manager slash president, mm-hmm. into the labor negotiations. I think it'll be interesting to see if uh, if Andy what type of role Andy plays and whether or not and this is just speculation whether or not he's being groomed for something down the road. They've come from various places. Kendall Mountain Landis was a significant judge, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Happy Chandler had been a senator. Ford Frick, wasn't he once commissioner? He was. Mm-hmm. He was. Uh, he, yes. he gave Roger Maris the asterisk. And, yes. and he was a uh, sports broadcaster. And I think they also considered George Mitchell to be the commissioner at one point. Right. right. That was considered. Right. And then, of course, you know, I knew Bart Giamatti when I was a... President of Yale, wasn't he? Uh, I knew him when he was just a young assistant professor of English at Yale. Mm-hmm. And I was a young, even younger, I think, assistant professor of psychology at Yale. Though I left Yale, uh, and he stayed and ultimately became the president, but he had apparently this great love for baseball, and he left the presidency to take the commissionership. And there are those who say, and died of a heart attack about seven or eight years later. There are, isn't that right? He was only, didn't even last a no, year. Yeah, no, he, yeah. He, oh, it was un- only the one year. He, unfortunately, I think what you're leading it's, to... It's the Rose matter. Right, yeah. he, he walked in at, at, the, at the time when, when he was faced with maybe one of the toughest choices ever, yeah. ever for a commissioner to have to discipline the all-time hit leader. Um, and I think uh, all of that, I mean, there's no question that was a very stressful time. Well, was that in the first, was that the first year, only one year? It, his commissionership was very, very yeah. brief. Terrible. Terrible. And then you have Bud Selig, who's a used car salesman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's probably... <laughs> that says enough. That probably sets you up. a big listener of WGN Radio. Oh. Hi, of Bud. Of course. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Uh, 591-7200 is our number as we go quickly to another caller. Hello, you're on the air. Yes, I would like to know about Pete Rose ever getting into the Hall of Fame. I will hang up and listen yeah, to your that's, conversation. That's a constant question, and uh, I, does it really matter? I mean, I think you should judge Pete as a player, not as a manager. His transgressions occurred as a manager. However, he continues to deny what he, what they have, I guess, overwhelming evidence of. I would. This is a country built on second chances. If he stepped up and said, "You know what? I made a big mistake. I want a second chance," I'd have no problem putting him in. But when he continues to say, there's no finding, I didn't do anything wrong, and they've got overwhelming evidence, it's almost as though he's playing us as a fool. So I'd, I, I'm all for a second chance. Just admit you did it. Yeah. Uh, one person who will not make the Hall of Fame is the sometime owner of his team, Marge Schott. Wasn't that her name? Yes, she yes. is gone now. Yeah. She, she was right uh, there yesterday. Was she at the game yesterday? She certainly was. Did she, she have was... the dog? Uh, I did not see Shotzi <laughs> 4, or 5, or 6, or, yeah. or whatever yeah. number we're up to now. Well, she um, was a rather disgraceful owner, wasn't she? Well, she did something the Tribune Company has never done. and Won uh, a World Series. Yeah. Not to be that, sure. Yeah, to not, be not sure. only got there, but, but yeah. won it. Beat a very good Oakland team. Uh, 591-7200 is our number. And at the moment, once again, we've got some lines cleared. So if you want to put a question, offer a thought, share a memory, uh, or denounce anything or anybody, uh, now's the time to do it. 591-7200. And for email from any place, whether you're listening on the Internet or otherwise, the email address, extension720, as one word, at tribune.com. Extension720 at tribune.com. Before we go to some commercials, I've got an email here that I don't even quite understand, though I guess it's just a quotation. Can you, can you verify this? Bill Veck opined, that if Major League Baseball ran the country, 
Nebraska would still be a territory. You ever heard that quotation? I have not heard that no. one. Sorry. It, it, it has the ring of truth to it, though. Yes. Does it sound like that? Yes, it does. Well, we'll be directly back after this. Say, did you hear the news about what's happening in Brooklyn? We really got the blues about what's happening in Brooklyn. It ain't official yet. We hope official it don't get. But beware, my friend, and let me warn you that they're gonna take it up on to California. Let's keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. Our house is not a home without some love. Don't let them leave our premises. L.A. will be their nemesis. For Brooklyn fits the Dodgers like a glove. Mr. Walter O'Malley, we always called you Pally. We stuck with you. Oh, that's a wonderful part. I think I remember that from way back. That's Phil Foster, the comic, singing that. There was terrible consternation in Brooklyn. I was, a, I was there. My mom grew up there. It happened. Yeah. Yeah. See, what, you should, you should get Jerry Reinsdorf on here because he talks about that. Yeah. And, uh, he comes should, from the same neighborhood right, I do. The, the from, two of you would have a great from, time. from Benson Heights. Yeah, he, yeah. He's quite the businessman. The chairman yeah. is uh, a good What guy. year did they go to California? 55, 56. Maybe I could look it up in the baseball. That's <laughs> right. You got it right there. Yeah. yeah. Our number, 591-7200. We've cleared some lines. They're available if you want to join us. Move quickly, 591-7200, and we go back to the phones. You are on the air. Good evening. Good evening. It's the first time I've ever talked to you on your show. This is a, it's a terrific show. Thank you, one, sir. One quick historical note. The first season the Cubs played was the same year that Custer was massacred, 1876. But the point I was trying to make was that Jack Brickhouse, is probably primarily responsible for developing this nucleus of Cub fans that are around the around the country and everything else now. He just always we watched some dreadful teams in the '60s, and I'd come home from school and I'd listen to him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how he did it, but he made me want to come back and listen and watch the ball game again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He was just such a positive influence. He just he's just grossly overlooked, I think. I, I think I think you're right. I think one of the things when I talked to Arnie Harris for for the book was he mentioned that that Jack really had a tough time because they they'd go to spring they just never had good teams to cover and Harry Harry got a break he got a couple winners there so it's a lot easier to do that but but Jack probably doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. Well, he was an all-round man in sports and everything else. Mm-hmm. Jack even used to do man of the street interviews yeah. out on the street. Yeah. Rickhouse oh. Hubbard show, oh, all that stuff yeah. from years back. But he was just such an he was just such a nice guy, and he just made you feel good about coming back and watching again tomorrow. And plus the fact when you threw in those lineups, when you had the same people in the same batting order for ten years, with Kessinger, Becker, William Stano, and Banks, and we got to get Ronnie in the Hall of Fame. But that was that was a great great era. We thank you, sir, for the call. Thank you. Uh, of course, Jack is a permanent presence right around here with that. Statue just out here yeah, in outside Pi- the window, Pioneer mm-hmm. Court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the ballpark with the uh, hey hey on the foul poles uh-huh. over at Wrigley. Five nine one seven two double zero is the number. As we go to another, hello, you're on the air. Hi, how you doing? All right. Thank you so much for having me. 
Uh, the, I'm a Los Angeles Dodger fan, born and bred forever and ever. Uh-huh. The Dodgers have their own version of Ichiro this year, uh, Ichi something. What do you guys think of him so far? He has looked very unimpressive in the uh, preseason. And there's Darren Dreifert, who's out like a year and a half at the shortest. Why is his surgery and recovery so complicated? Well, take the first question first. Kazu Hisa Ishii. Um, had a had a great debut for the uh, Dodgers in, in spring training and has kind of gone steadily downhill. The last I saw, he might he might they they're considering dropping him from the starting rotation into the bullpen, which would be a uh, a, a major concession that that paid a uh, lot of money for him, didn't they? Yes, they did. It, it was similar similar, not on the same scale as as Ichiro. That first you have to pay money to his Japanese team for right, the rights right. to negotiate with. He him. played for the Kobe Kobukis, did he? Who, who did he play for? Um, I am not sure who Ishii played for yeah, in Japan. What, what his team was. Yeah. Um, and the second with, with Dreyford is, I mean, that that's Tommy John surgery and. Um, you know, he did not have that surgery because they just signed him uh, for the 2001 season. So he didn't have that surgery until at some point uh, last season, maybe May. And, uh, you know, I mean, that really is – Kerry Wood got back very quickly from that. Some young younger guys do that. Uh, but you really got to look at that as as a year-and-a-half to two-year type of, type of a thing, I think. So hang in there and be happy that Andy Ashby's back and, and more importantly, Kevin Brown's back. Well, I, thought, I know Kevin's doing well. Is Andy doing quality work? Yeah, he, he is. Uh, he's going to open the season as their uh, uh, probably their number two or number three starter, and, and I think they're counting on him to be okay. I've got to ask you something. We were talking earlier about, uh, uh, about uh, the White Sox part, which is rather uncomfortable and rather distant from the players. Uh, the one or two times I've been... Uh, what do you call that part? Dodger uh, Stadium? Dodger Stadium. Chavez Ravine. Times I've been there, Chavez Ravine. It has seemed to me also rather an unfriendly uh, place where it's difficult to watch baseball. That's LA sports fans, though. I mean, they show up late, they leave early. They don't have the passion yeah. we've got here. I'm, cu- I'm curious as to whether the caller is happy that they got rid of Sheffield. Am I happy with that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I hate losing such a good talent. Where are you calling from, sir? Uh, I'm in uh, I-196 in Michigan. Uh-huh. I, I live over on this side of the lake. By the way, the player that they signed, the pitcher, came from the Yakult Swallows. Oh. Well, there we are. I should have known that. Not the Kobe Kabukis. No. No, sir. Well, I made that one up, sir. <laughs> we thank you, sir, for the call. Glad to have heard from you. We go to another. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, Mel. Great show tonight. Thank you, sir. A, I have to ask you the Passover question. In what way is this night different from all other nights? Well, I, I just love the diversity of guests you bring on. All right. You do a great job. Uh, i got a question about what your guests think about uh, pitchers purposely beaning batters. You know, I coach uh, high school athletes, and I'm a dad, and I've got little leaguers, and, you know, we, we like to think that athletics teaches kids, you know, the right way of handling things and the, and the wrong way. And You wouldn't have this, a high school coach instructing his pitchers to be in the batter, would you? No, absolutely not. You know, I I don't coach baseball, but I coach basketball, and we obviously don't teach kids to throw elbows and things like that. And I'm just wondering what your what your guests think. I guess it drives me crazy when I hear sports commentators praise a pitcher for uh, purposely throwing at a batter. Yeah, I, what do you I, think? I, I'm I'm with you on there, and, and baseball has this. Uh, 
this overly macho code that I mean it seems to it seems to go back to the the whatever generation that people were fighting without boxing gloves. I mean it's that same kind of you know it's hardball mentality, and uh, you know I I think uh, pitching coaches want pitchers to to pitch inside and feel like that's a little bit of a lost art that pitchers are are, are afraid or unsure of how to go inside and throw the inside fastball. But but when you're talking about moving a guy back off the plate, that's different than just uh, hitting and, uh, hitting and, uh, a guy because the guy before him hit a home run or because he hit a home run off of you four and a half years ago and circled the bases slowly. Um, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. baseball now disciplines those kind of things fairly strongly, and, and I think they're they're correct to do it, and it is a terrible example. Now, Ron Sano tells the story. He said every time that Ernie or Billy Williams would hit a home run against Bob Gibson, he knew when he came up, yep. first pitch was at his head and he was going down. Right. Really? It was a purpose pitch. It was a message. Mm-hmm. But you're right. They've cleaned yeah. a lot of that up. The sad, the sad thing is I was talking to some of the Angels players after the incident this spring where uh, Aaron Seeley hit. There was a little exchange of, of hit batters. And the players were saying that even with the discipline, that they're not going to think that the next time something happens, they're not going to think in the back of their minds, well, I got six-game suspension. I'm going to stay on the bench, and I'm not going to go just out react. there onto the field. They're, they're just going to react. So I, as much as I applaud... The, the disciplines, I wonder if they really mean anything sometimes because the players are still going to just react. Well, and and, and uh, anytime a player is, is fined, uh, his club will pay the fine. Right. And, and, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, you know, really right. players lose much through that discipline. Right. Certainly the teams do when they lose the players. Uh, the Dodgers, after that Wrigley Field brawl in 99, was it? Right. Um, I, I mean, I think that had a severe uh, a sphere effect on them and may have contributed to them missing the playoffs that Great year with, with all the games those guys missed. Sir, we thank you for the call. Okay, thanks, very Bill. Take care. Heard from you. I know. Um, there, uh, when did baseball really begin to become amoral and lose its status as a perfected ethical uh, art? Um, way back in the 1890s when the president of Harvard complained that he had been told that um, they were the team was throwing curved balls, and he thought that was something gentlemen should not do. That it was deceitful. So he wanted you just kind of lay it in there and let the guy hit it. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. I guess Kerry Wood Here, is a deceitful person. Then. Here's the very quote. I must read this to you. This is from Charles <laughs> William Elliot, um, who says, "Well, this year I'm told the team did well because one pitcher had a fine curve ball. I understand that a curve ball is thrown with a deliberate attempt to deceive." Surely that is not an ability we would want to foster at Harvard. Unbelievable. Isn't that right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the game has evolved. It's changed just a little <laughs> bit. We have spitballs now. Yeah. No, aren't they illegal? They're illegal, but that doesn't mean they don't throw. Still have uh, 591-7200, and you are next on the air. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Mel. Wonderful show, as always. Thank you, sir. Uh, the one thing I was wondering about baseball is uh, I'm a very uh, literate reader of baseball, and um, what, baseball uh, books, and I was wondering about the question of folklore and uh, in, in baseball. Uh, or, uh, because, let me explain this, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, and the Red Sox have what they call the Curse of the Bambino, which explains the, the mishaps in the World Series for all those things. And I think the Cubs have something called the Curse of the Billy Goat mm-hmm. to explain their woes. Uh, how big of a, a part does folklore like that play in, in baseball and baseball literature? Well... I know that one of one of the things 
this will sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but one of the things I tried to do with the book was to go and talk to some of the people about some of the folklore things that and and try and clarify them a little bit. But I, the Billy Goat thing, I've heard that story a zillion times. Remember when they brought the goat onto the field? Steve, yeah, 97. Steve Traxel was not happy about no. that because they paraded him right through the bullpen. So. Right, to try and get rid of yeah. the curse. So a couple of the players said, I just shoot yeah. the goat. Let's I, I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't believe in that. Right. But if you're a Red Sox fan, there is the curse of the Bambino, and, and that is that is true. That yeah. is true. <laughs> Red Sox fans, though, I, I mean, they get to the World Series. I mean, doesn't that say something? I mean, I, I mean, I, I always, I grew up rooting for the Texas Rangers back back when they couldn't get to fifth place. So well, I, I never really understood the, well, a couple you know, the shame of, of losing the World Series. And now I work in a town where the the uh, pro teams, the Cubs and the White Sox, have managed to lose 14 consecutive postseason series. How many series. years has it been since the two teams combined won a World Series? No, no, no. Oh, let's it, let's go back. When was the last time the Cubs had back-to-back winning seasons? 71-72. Right, but, I mean, it's been that long since they've just been able to do that. How about when both teams in town had winning season, had back-to-back winning seasons? That's my favorite number of this year. Um, what is that? 1936 and oh. 1937. And, and so this year, I, I think both teams will have winning seasons, which, oh. which will uh, give us the first time since then. That's sick. <laughs> oh, man. Well, the thing is, is that what I believe is that uh, – uh, Cub fans and Red Sox fans are kind of like distant cousins, you know what I mean? Because, like, uh, there was a documentary a few years ago, the Ken Burns baseball documentary. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who said it, but he said that uh, there's unique types of pain in baseball. Cubs fans' pain is, you know, you know you're never going to get there. Red Sox fan pain is you get there, you get to within an inch of the promised land, and then something really bizarre happens. Like Billy Buckner. Bill Buckner, uh, Louis Aparicio in 1972, tripping over the plate. Um, what else? The 75 Buck, Buck, series. Bucky Dent. Bucky Dent. Uh, well, actually, it's kind of funny because in New York they call that the Bucky Dent game, and in Boston they call it the Mike Torres game since he pitched the ball to that. But you know, uh, Carlton Fisk, historic home run that, that earned them a right to lose game seven when Carl Yastrzemski mm-hmm. popped up with the tying run on base. Oh. Well, yeah, all it, it, all great split, moments split. of disaster for some and of victory for others. I must uh, read you um, two emails that bear upon the same thing. I couldn't get through on the phone. The song "Talking Baseball" was written and recorded by Terry Cashman in 1981. Uh, it was originally called "Willie Mickey and the Duke." He also we heard some of this before, didn't we? Also recorded 11 variations of the song, including "Baseball and the Cubs," "Baseball and the Sox," etc. And another fellow sends. Essentially similar information. By the way, the song is written by Terry Cashman, a retrofit to Talking Baseball, which had the refrain of Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, referencing the New York Center fielders. Good show, by the way. Thanks, Milt, for keeping Mr. Rogers honest. What does he mean? Uh, you'd, he would have to send a little more with that email. That's all he says. He goes on to say, only Bob Knight and baseball in one night. It doesn't get any better. That reference, of course, is to... What preceded us, your interview with Bob Knight. Oh, nice going, Kevin. Yeah, he was a lot of fun to talk to. We had him in here yesterday. Yeah, and you taped it yesterday. Yep. You were wise not to play it last night, of course. With the game on. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, 591-7200, time for a quick break, and then we will return. Now listen to me, you guys. This game of baseball is only one half skill. The other half is something else. Something bigger. You gotta have heart. All you really need is heart. When the odds are saying you never win, 
that's when the grin should start. You gotta have hope. Mustn't sit around and hope. Nothing's half as bad as it may appear. Wait till next year and hope. When your luck is batting zero, get your chin up off the that, of course, is from Damn Yankees. You all remember that? I wish we could play more of it, but we can't. It's a bump. You have to do it in less than a minute, as That's Dave exactly well knows. Right. Because <laughs> when they go into harmony, there's some, there's some wonderful stuff. Uh, but um, that I think that's from the original score as well. you got to have heart. Yeah, do, do you get depressed teams who lack heart and who really uh, come apart and do lousy seasons, not because they're untalented, but because hey. they've lost heart? I'm a uh, I'm a big believer in yes it's a long season 162 games six months but I really believe that the first month of the season the first two months of the season is really really important and I think that's why I think it's building belief I, I don't gives know. you optimism or pessimism I, I, I think so I think mm -hmm. last year's Cubs would be an example of a team that got off to a great start and were able to carry it I mm -hmm. think the White Sox who won in 2000 I think that was equally true. And I think more often than not, when the re when the reverse plays out and you have a terrible start, like the Sox uh, last year, you lose hope. I, you yeah. know, I give Jerry Manuel a lot of credit because last year's White Sox probably should have lost 90 or 95 games based mm -hmm. on how they started, and, mm -hmm. and they hung in there to have a winning season and, and were actually uh, somewhat in, in the race in September. So mm -hmm. I, I give them a lot of credit. It's it's hard to describe chemistry, but it 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 is it is a real key part of the team. Oh, it's it's. I mean, watching the Twins last year. Here's a team that has absolutely no payroll, no no big star players at all, and yet they were pretty much in contention towards towards most of the end because they had a good chemistry. Yeah. There was a while. I don't know whether it was in baseball or in basketball or whatever, when some owners were fooling with the notion of bringing in uh, motivation experts and trying to rev up the team so they would have more heart. I'm I'm sure it was a very poor investment and kind of a silly thing to do. Do you remember that? Did it happen in baseball at all? Well, I mean, I think that's in the movie The Natural. They keep showing mm -hmm. over and over this losing team, and this guy comes in and tries to talk about positive mental attitude yeah. and find the players just completely tune them out. I would hope they would. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, last year's, last year's Cubs Matt got Newton. a lot of that in, sure. in spring training. Sure. Um, from from know, home. And, and, well, from a, a conditioning specialist slash motivational guru. Oh, really? Guru oh, so they are Don doing Baylor it. Yes. Uh, imported and uh, how'd, the, how'd the players react? Well, differently, <laughs> differently. But by the end of the year, at, when the when the Cubs did well, um, it tended to reflect positively on Mac Newton. Uh -huh. uh, many of the players felt like Mac Newton was taking credit for what they were doing, yeah. and that <laughs> that that became a a, a bad situation. Um, and Mac Newton wasn't there this spring, but who's to say that some of the seeds that he lay. Uh, in February and March didn't have some effect. Well, how did he wrap them up? What was the nature of his technique, do you know? A lot of motivational speeches. What he would do is he'd lead the team in stretches, uh -huh. in their stretch, morning stretch, and then he would give them this little pep talk. And he'd have a chart, and he'd have, like, the the uh, words for the day, and someone in the front office would have to type up the words for the day and leave a copy of it in front of with each player for that for that day in front of their locker. And uh, he... he Made some of the players were believers. Sammy Sosa, were, huh? Sammy Sosa thought he was the greatest thing. Well, he was he was talking to them about the World Series, and yeah. this is a team that had lost 97 games the previous season. Right. So, 
generally that's a preposterous thing to even even mention and and he was there saying you know you guys don't see it now but you're going to the world series this year and and uh turned out they didn't that wasn't quite true but uh they certainly did a lot better than they were expected to do he was uh, also yeah. a great physical specimen with but both hips were artificial hips really and he was in mm -hmm. great shape mm -hmm. i think a black belt in karate right right he worked mm -hmm. he actually i got to know him because he worked with bo jackson when Bo Jackson went through his hip replacement surgery, and he actually worked with Bo, and he's he's quite he's is quite motivational. If you if you need to do something, Mac Newton will make you believe that you can do it. Mm. So, I don't even I've never heard of the man. Well, but I, I know so. there are such gurus out there. Five nine one seventy two hundred. We run back to the phones. You're next. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, uh, I have two questions. The first. What uh, what's happening with Rick and Keel down in uh, St. Louis since his uh, kind of blow up about a year and a half ago? He's got arm trouble, doesn't he? He he does. Yeah. He he came back this you know they they took it real slow with him last year. He spent the whole season in the uh, in the minor leagues, and his blow up was he you know he went from being one of the best young pitchers in baseball to not being able to to keep the ball in the screen, let alone over home plate. Mm -hmm. You know, Steve Blast disease is what it's called. And, you know, not not one you want to have named after you. Uh, and this spring, early on, the signs were good, and, and right now he is sidelined with what they're calling a strained elbow. They don't think he's going to need surgery, uh, but right now he's shut down, and it looks like he, very unlikely he'll pitch in the major leagues this year, and they would just kind of hope he gets back on track and has a, a productive minor league season at he's some young. point. He's young. He's only 22. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the second question is, uh, I live up here in Milwaukee, and I really enjoy listening to Bob Uecker on the radio. And who would who would be equivalent to Bob Euchre, you know, across the country on the radio? Somebody I could maybe pick up on the internet. Boy, that's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know if there is an an equivalent. Everybody has their style, and and I'm I think Bob Euchre's style is so so much his style that somebody yeah, else would be afraid to try to do it. Are you looking for just a great announcer? I'm just looking to for somebody who has that who has that skill to to uh, communicate the game. Well, oh, Vin Scully on a Dodger yeah. broadcast, probably Mar the best of all time. Marty Marty Brenneman with the with the Reds, the Reds. is very good. Yeah, I'll Ernie Harwell. I'll I'll give you a guy to listen to some night on the internet that you might not listen to before, which is Eric Nadell, who does the Texas Rangers games, and I think has a wonderful way of just talking about the game. Okay. Did you? Can I ask? Did you sign up and listen to the games on the internet last year? No, I've never done that before. Okay. And, uh, it's a great deal. Go to MLB.com. It's know, a I great deal. So you get all the games for one fee. But she's can... working hard for I'm... you. <laughs> that's right. Don't that's you work great... for them? Yes, I do. That's, that's why I'm pushing this. It's a What's great a... deal. Tell more about the deal. What's What, what does it cost? You, you, I wish last year it was $10. I think they bumped the price up $10 a little bit. for what? $10. You can listen to every game all season long for a mere ten dollars for a mere ten dollars and you can listen not just to cub games but you can listen to braves games mm -hmm. or whatever game you want to on you just computer. sign up on your computer you just sign up once and i know i had friends who went to paris and they were listening to cub games on the internet yeah from uh course, from paris france though we carry the cubs or thanks to the caller we Black, uh, we, we are required to black out the games from the internet play, aren't because we? Because of the MLB.com <laughs> right. owning the rights to it. But it's mm -hmm. a great deal. Think well, about it. Well, if it's it. only $10 a year, it's right. it sounds like Well, a I think deal. it might be a little more. Yeah. It might be like fourteen ninety-five or something. I, I don't know. Still it's, sounds like sorry. a pretty good deal to me. Uh, and uh, a last round of commercials is required. Uh, and then we will go back to the phones and to the internet. 
for the phones, 591-7200 for the Internet, extension 720 at tribune.com. I'm waiting for somebody from the West Coast to call and uh, brag about or ask about their teams out there via the Internet. Extension 720 at tribune.com. We return after this. The hot dog at the game beat roast beef at the Ritz. Well, that's baseball, and it's my game. You know, you take your worries to the park and you leave them there. You yell like crazy for your guys. Could be lungs. Gives you a lift and nobody calls the cops. Pretty girls, lots of them. But none any prettier than baby. Are you listening, baby? Now, that one truly confounds me. You recognize the voice, I presume. Certainly. It Bogey. is Humphrey Bogart talking about baseball. But I don't know where or when. Except, well, the when is 1950, apparently. But That's a famous clip. Is it a famous clip? Yeah. Not from a movie or anything. In fact, it's, just it's be from part of our movie. opening for our Cubs broadcast here on WG. Oh, for heaven's sake. I yeah. should have known that. There you go. Um, and uh, here's a quick uh, email. I just signed up for the radio broadcast last week. That is the um, uh, MLB uh, uh, thing. And he says it is 1495 this year. Very reasonable. Thank That's you. His comment. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's thank you. <laughs> I can write the trip off now. I thank you. Bud Selleck thanks you. Bud Selleck thanks you. Yes. Five nine one seven two zero zero is the number. You are next. Hello. Hello. I just have a quick comment regarding uh, about eighty years ago. I believe a right fielder for the Yankees was George Hallis, and uh, in order to make room for Babe Ruth, they got rid of Hallis. And I often think if that is true. Uh, it's pretty amazing if, you know, Babe Ruth did not go to the Yankees, the NFL would not be where it's at today since he was the founder of the NFL. Well, Hallis mm -hmm. had broken his hip, I think, sliding into third. Oh, okay. And I think that was one of the reasons. All but right. I'm going to look it up right now. It's got to be I in just, I, I, just, I just think that it's kind of amazing that one great yeah. you know, sports American hero got displaced by another. You know what you're doing. You're dealing in counterfactual analysis, which okay. historians sometimes play with. What if something had happened just a little differently? How would all of future history have been changed? You're suggesting that if they hadn't dumped Hallis uh, for Ruth, that the NFL would not have developed. Uh, right. Here's the reason they let him go. George Hallis gained famous coach of the Bears and hit 0-91 in his only season in the majors as the last <laughs> Yankee right fielder before Babe Ruth. There's okay. your reason. That's possibly a more valid reason. Thank you, sir, for the call. And we go quickly to another. Hello, you're on the air. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, my comments are about the, uh, the outrageous prices that the players are getting paid and the fans are getting charged. I'm wondering if – I'm just going to run this by you. Let's put a salary cap at a million dollars a player with incentives for performance. Uh, make the most expensive seats in the stadium 50 bucks, 40 30 20 10 And if a community can't pay for its team – then that community loses its team. Uh, what do your guests think about that? And you know, am I just a crazy communist or what? Well, would you like to be able to have a cap put on your salary? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I have a nephew who plays for the Atlanta Braves. He made a million dollars for the first three years, and he's making less than that now. He's happy to play. Yeah, but th that said, I mean, if Carrie can go out and someone wants to pay her $10 million to write, she should have the wherewithal to be able to go. It's a free market system we live in. I understand And that. if there's somebody out there that wants to do that, please call. And absolutely. <laughs> that, that would be my suggestion. If you, if you can make... No, no, I guess I'm arguing against myself there. Uh, 
Well, how you, much money do you need to live to play a game? But that's it, it's not a game. It's a business. It is a business. I and know. It, and and if let's, someone's let's, willing let's to pay owners, it, that's what you're worth. Let's let the owners uh, make half of the profits, and the incentive goes towards the other side, uh, towards the players. And let's let the cream rise to the top, and let's let communities that can support a team keep a team. Uh, I, it's just it's become outrageous when people are getting paid. Uh, I don't know what's the what's the highest out there? Fifteen million dollars a year. Twenty-five million for a Twenty-five million dollars a year. Uh, I think he can probably get by on. You know, a twenty-fifth of that. That uh, pay for performance that you suggest—I I don't know exactly where you came up with it—but the owners have tried that before. That that came up in a negotiation in, in well, the mid would, or late eighties. Do you want, was, sir? Do you want to extend this, say, to um, movie stars and corporate executives as well? Uh, no. I or great. I, I just want to do this or, with baseball right now. Or national but television I, figures I just, like Oprah Winfrey. I just want to do this with baseball right now. Well, why do it just with baseball rather because than with? This is what this let me ask you this question, and okay, if you're doing pay for performance, so we say, okay, Sammy, you're going to get X number of extra dollars for home runs, but we happen to have men on first and second in the eighth inning, and we need to move them over to second and third. He says, I'm not bunting. One more home run, I get a million-dollar bonus. No, 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 no. You perform by moving them forward. Well, who, how are you going to judge certain he, he statistical takes, he categories? Takes, he takes the, uh, the, the signals from his... Uh, you know, I think, sir, in all due regard and all due respect, I must suggest that it'll never fly. Time is rather short, so I have to say a cordial good night. He's, a, Demo comment. he's a, a Democrat. A salary cap isn't unheard of in sports. There's one in the NFL, there's one in the NBA, so, I mean, it, it, it's, not ex it's not like that is, uh, that's a foreign concept. But the one difference is in baseball, look how rosters change from opening day to the end of the year. Football, basketball, pretty much the rosters stay close to what they are when you begin the season. If you had a hard cap, you wouldn't be able to make moves at the July trading deadline. I'll take your word for it, Dave. <laughs> and let's go quickly to another caller because time is getting very short. Hello, you're on the air. Hello, sir. Well, yes. I certainly enjoy the program, and I did listen to the Bobby Knight interview, too, and made my drive from St. Louis to Chicago very short tonight. This Kaplan fellow turns out to be a not bad interviewer, actually. He ain't so bad, as yeah. they say. I live in San Diego now, so I guess I could make your West Coast interview as well. But I grew up in Chicago in the 50s and 60s, so mm -hmm. I had the joy to watch Nellie and Louie and uh, the Hitless Wonders go to the World Series in 59. Had a couple of other uh, comments. Uh, I think Cleveland won the series in 48, not 58. I think the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles in 58, maybe 57, because I think the 59 series was the first or second year that they played when they played the Sox out mm -hmm. there. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And I wondered, uh, I had heard something about, you talked about the new Comiskey, and I've been there a couple of times, and you really get a nosebleed in those that upper deck there. Um, I had heard that they were thinking about possibly just redoing the upper deck. Has that ever gone anyplace, or...? I heard you talk a little bit about redoing the park. That's still that's still in the um, on the wish list. I, I think I think it, it it may happen down the line. They they've done some more remodeling for this season. They did some for last season, and I think that's uh, that's kind of a, a secondary one. That that if everything comes together and they get their money for it, if yeah, they sell naming rights. Right. And I think that's kind of dependent on selling naming rights for the stadium. The, the sad uh, thing about that ballpark is the best seat there is the press box. 
So it's oh, okay. That is an awesome <laughs> press box. <laughs> well, I haven't been in there yet. I have been on the lower deck, and, and I got in uh, oh, when they played Toronto a number of years ago in a playoff game. We ended up uh, one of the games up in the uh, upper deck, and, boy, that was really a nosebleed section <laughs> up there. Worse than Dodger Stadium. So. Thank you, sir. Anyhow, thanks very much for the whole show tonight. Glad to have heard from you. We've got just a few minutes left. Uh, let me ask you to indulge in nostalgia. You're all kind of young to have nostalgic memories. All the same, you've been looking at a lot of baseball for rather a while. Uh, what are the... When you're, telling, when you're writing your memoirs 30 years from now, and you're talking about the perfect game or the perfect moment, what will come up? Oh, boy. Either being when Sammy hit number 61 and 62 in that great season of 98, or the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game. Those would come up if you talk about game. But probably my best memory would be sitting in the dugout at 9.30 on an absolutely spectacular summer day, talking baseball with Billy Williams and Mark Grace, and just sitting around and realizing, I don't work for a living. Yeah. Uh -huh. That would be my... Probably the favorite memory. You know, I I, I think the the one moment that that like took my breath away, I couldn't believe I saw it was Kurt Gibson's home run in the 1988 Were World Series. I I was. Oh, you lucky he, dog! He, he limps to home plate. None of us thought he was available to play in the game, and uh, takes takes a, a Dennis Eckersley slider over the fence and and uh, wins the game, changes the whole World Series. Uh, nobody that saw it could could really believe it, and uh, uh, other than that, I, I got a chance to watch Nolan Ryan um, in his later years with the Texas Rangers and just his work ethic and his approach um, and the humility that he had. Um, it was a real pleasure to be around. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I was there for the Kirk Gibson home run, too, and I have to admit that was the most amazing home run ever hit. The press box just got everyone had their stories done and when he hit that ball there was just a silence in the press mm. box and then boom everyone shifted into action because you had to do a major rewrite because suddenly the whole game had changed and I'll, I'll that one I, I have goosebumps now I never I'll never forget that one Kerry Woods 20 strikeout game was incredible too but I from personal just last year covering a World Series game in Yankee Stadium I remember calling my husband and telling him that 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 I I, had, I was all choked up because to me that was just an ultimate to be at that ballpark for a World Series game and just just the whole spectacle and especially after the 9/11 thing just being in New York and, and mm, being around that yeah. it was it was uh, that was pretty special too. There's a a fellow who's given us a um, uh, an email. This is very late, but you're mentioning 9/11. Let me read this quickly. Um, I'd like your thoughts on Selig's decision to force uh, MLB to sing God Bless America during the seventh inning stretch for the 2002 season. At first, we think it's time we as a nation move forward from the events of 9-11, part of which would be to start singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Has Selig made such a um, decision? Yes, they're, they're supposed to. But the Cubs are going to do both, game. right? Right. Uh, most, most teams do most, both. And most teams do both. They, yeah. did, they started it last year, actually, right after 9-11, mm -hmm. when the games resumed. I, I, I think it's run its course. Yeah, I, I, I'm with the caller. I think there's going to come a time when you have to just yeah. uh, stop it, get get back to it, mm -hmm. and, and I think uh, probably we're at that time. And by the way, the Cubs have changed the song they're going to play at the end of wins now. Oh, really? Yeah, to get down tonight, gone. Oh, this was my personal campaign. And the new song is? Chicago. Oh, good. That's, That's good. Song, which okay. I think will be awesome. Oh, good. Kind of like what the Yankees do. Oh, the Yankees. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's Chicago. awesome. Yeah. Chicago, that toddling town. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, great. 
We are out of time. Thanks very much. It's been a real pleasure for me and a wonderful change of pace for me as well. David Kaplan, um, who does something around WGN uh, on some other program, has been with us. Phil Rogers, uh, baseball writer for the Chicago Tribune. Carrie Muscat, who covers the Cubs for MLB.com and is the author of a book that has just reappeared in paperback, Banks to Sandberg to Grace. Five it's a decades, great book, by the way. I'm sure it must be. Five decades of love and frustration with the Chicago Cubs. We'll be um, talking about the Middle East tomorrow. There's an early ball game. We should have the air by 9.15 or 9.30 at the latest. Uh, similarly, there's an early ball game on Thursday, and after that, John Cass of the Tribune comes on with us. Friday, a full two-hour program as we talk with a round of guests via telephone, Donald Kagan, Morton Kondracki, Daniel Pipes, and Congressman Henry Hyde among them. All of that to come. For now, thanks to all for listening, and a cordial good night.